Well, again, good morning, church. Um, I am one of the five elders uh, of this church. Uh, church. Church is an interesting uh, word, isn't it? It, it, it has uh, several understandings, but what is a church? Have you ever thought about that? Um, you know, for instance, we say, hey, are you going to church today? So is it a building? Or we might say, uh, how is church? <laughs> Could it be an event? Or, or, or I just greeted you as the church. Hey, church. Uh, so is it the people? Is it the people of the church? Well, how you define a church affects many things, like who's in or who's not in the church, or it affects the, our worship it affects the goal of missions, but ultimately, how we define church affects God's reputation in the world and how we will be received into his kingdom. So you see, how you define church is significant. It's important. And what better place to seek to define the church than in the Bible. So in 1 Corinthians 3, which Baha just uh, read a little earlier, Paul uses this analogy of the church as a temple being built not by individuals, but as a local community in Corinth, adding to a larger structure called the church. Jesus is the cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets are the foundation that has established the word of Christ, the gospel, the word of God. And then he speaks on how these local churches are built upon that foundation. Leaders and members are like uh, construction teams that build with their lives and their love either godly character and actions as precious things like gold and silver and precious stones or ungodly character and actions, perishable things such as wood, hay, chaff. Now, last year, Michael Lawrence preached on this same passage and he put it this way. Are you on the building crew or the wrecking crew? Christian, for your part, for your part, are you building up or breaking down Christ's church? Will your work build the church, that you're, the work that you're doing to build the church, will it survive 30, 60, 100 years into the future? Or when you're gone, will it all be burnt up by fire? This is the focus of our next statement in the EBC Statement of Faith, number 14, which, which our brother just read for us. The main point of this is that the church is to be a display of God's glory to the world. The church is to be a display of God's glory to the world. And we're going to consider this in four specific things. The church defined, the church governed, the mission of the church and building a biblical church. So then, 
Firstly, the church defined. Now the statement begins, we believe that the invisible church is the communion of God's people drawn from every tribe, language, people, nation throughout all ages. It is made visible in local churches, which are congregations of baptized believers covenanted together in faith and fellowship, marked by the right preaching of God's word, right administration of the ordinances. Now, the first time that we see the word church in the Bible is in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, that Greek word that's translated church is ekklesia. It, it literally means gathering or an assembly. Now, this ecclesia church can be thought of in, in two ways, as we just saw. First is the invisible church. It's invisible because we can't see it, per se. This church includes every believer from every place on the planet, from every time, from Adam till Jesus returns on the last day. The, the second way we see that, or we hear about the church is the local church. Now, local churches are where that invisible church is made visible, where we can see it. It's EBC. It's Rosalia over in Ankawa. It's, it's the International Evangelical Church in Dahuk. It's Covenant Hope Church in Dubai, or maybe even Heavenly Bread Church in Faisalabad, Pakistan, and many, many, many other local churches around this planet. So it's in local churches where God's glory is supposed to be seen by the world. Now, Ephesians 3, uh, 3 verses 10 and 11 says, says it this way, it speaks of God's wisdom to reveal this mystery in the gospel through the church. His intent was that now through the church, did you hear that? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see then how important it is that local churches are very clear and careful about what we believe and how we will live together as Christians. Why? Because God is literally staking his reputation on us. God is staking his reputation on us. Now, sometimes I wonder about the wisdom. It says it's, it's his wisdom that he's done this, but a lot of the churches that we see with our eyes are often very poor reflections of Christ. But I think what we need to understand, church, is that the institutional church, just whenever you see a building of a church, that does not mean, it doesn't always mean that it is a true church. 
And, and, and Christian, we need to know what makes a church a true church. Now, the biblical answer is surprisingly simple. As our EBC statement says, a local true church is a congregation of baptized believers who are covenanted together in faith and fellowship, marked by the right preaching of God's word and the right administration of the ordinances. And, and, and our fellow churches from back into the 1500s have affirmed that statement. Three specific things to highlight here. First, believer's baptism. Now, since the church represents God to the world, its members, the people that make up the church, should be only those who belong to him through faith in Christ. They are representatives of him. They are his children. And that faith is marked by the public testimony of baptism. The biblical pattern of baptism is belief and then baptism, faith and then baptism. Acts 2.38 says, repent and then be baptized. And many other passages affirm this path pattern. Baptism is the sign of that new covenant between God and his children. And that new covenant comes through faith, not through family. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again, born of water and of the spirit, he says, to enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And it goes on to say in that passage, whoever believes in Jesus and is born again will have eternal life. It comes through faith. So then, true churches are made of those who have professed faith and have proclaimed that or affirmed that through baptism. Secondly, believers are covenanted together. So our churches are not only individuals who are covenanted vertically with God, as we, as we recognize that through baptism, but also horizontally covenanting with God one another. John says in, or excuse me, Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how it'll be displayed. A local church is a gathering of baptized believers who covenant together in love for one another. Now, how do, we, how do we love one another? What does, that, what does that look like? Well, some churches, like our church here at EBC, have actually written a covenant together. The covenant, you don't have to do that, but, but our, our church does. The church covenant summarizes the Bible's teaching on how we love one another. And it is a sign of our commitment to God, to his church, and to personal holiness in our own lives. Now, the third thing then is the right preaching and right practice. So let's, let's break that down. Now, right gospel preaching must be from God's word, the Bible. 
the, the message about salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is, is contained here in this word. And it must be clear as it's preached. Preaching uh, is best through whole books of the Bible where the point of the passage is the point of the sermon. It's the best way for us to focus on God's thoughts and not on the thoughts or desires of, of the pastor. That is the normal pattern of our preaching here. Uh, though from time to time, like we are right now, we do preach topically. Now, so that's right preaching. Now the gospel ordinances, what are those? Gospel ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And to administer them rightly is to practice them the way the Bible speaks about them. We're going to talk more about that in our next statement in this series. So I'm I'm not going to say more about that now, and I'll leave that to Pastor Joe. One One other right practice that the members of a local church must have. And I, I'm putting this here because I think it's, it's, in, it's so significant and it, and it comes back to what we talked about in the introduction, how church members build with gold, silver, precious stones. How we build biblically healthy churches. And that is the right imitation of Christ. Church, I can't tell you how important that is for being not just a true church, okay? A true church is the right preaching and right practice of the ordinances. But a healthy biblical church also must be a church that has a right imitation of Christ. In every gospel, Jesus says, follow me, even to the point of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him daily. Now in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What does that mean? It means being humble as Jesus humbled himself. It means loving as Jesus loved us even to the point of giving up his life for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. How do you love your brother, sister, even when they sin against you? It means forgiving as we've been forgiven. How important is this imitation? you might ask. Well, consider, let's just take that last one, forgiveness. Consider what Jesus says right after he teaches the disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, the Abana. Verse 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter six. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Believer, how is your imitation of Christ? How are you imitating him? 
When your brother or sister offends you, will you put them under the silent treatment? Just avoid them for weeks or months, years, I haven't even seen. Refusing to speak to them, denying their calls. Will you talk to everyone else about them and, and how they offended you? Or refusing to gossip and protecting their honor, will you, as Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 18, same book, go and point out their fault just between the two of you? Or or, or take the other side of this conversation, for instance. If your brother or sister comes to point out your fault, (laughs) okay, Maybe somebody's come and said, I was really offended. Will you refuse to listen? Defending your position? Denying their perspective and and the offense that they have come to you with? Or will you take the humble position that Christ took? As Paul describes in Philippians, in chapter 2, where he says... In verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Oh, brothers, sisters, let us be that kind of biblically healthy fruitful Christians as we seek to be a biblical church together. Amen? Amen. So, if a local church is a gathering of baptized believers who are covenant together together in faith and fellowship and marked by right doctrine and right practice of the ordinances and right imitation of Christ, then where the church meets... Uh, maybe in a building or in a house or under a tree, it doesn't really matter. If they sing with a piano or with a, a cello or an oud, it doesn't matter. If they have chairs or doshaks or PowerPoints or hymn books or a school or a distribution program, all of those things don't matter for a church to be a church, a biblically healthy church. What matters is what the statement goes on to say. They are governed by the word of God. Now, that word of God teaches that their offices are elders or pastors Uh, and deacons whose qualifications, claims, and duties are defined most clearly in the letters to Timothy and Titus. Now, governing, that's a word that means authority, and uh, this idea of authority is a biblical idea, actually. Adam and Eve were created by God to reflect his image, fill the earth, and have dominion, have authority over all of creation. Authority was Established by God. So let's consider the second point then, how the church is governed. Now, 
here at EBC, we see in the Bible a model of leadership that is actually unlike anything else that the world has to offer. Let's examine three levels of authority and, and also a, a fourth thing, an implication of this model of church governance. And the first, the first thing is God and his word are the ultimate authority. So God and his word are the ultimate authority. There are two ways that people have thought to apply this. One is to only do what the Bible commands we do as a gathered church, so that when we gather as a church, we should preach and hear the word of God. We should sing the word. We should pray the word. We should see the word in baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we're seeking to follow along here at EBC in, in Jesus's church building program, which is outlined in his word. So above all else, EBC, let's seek to be a biblically ordered church by following God and his word. So we want the word to be the ultimate highest authority. Now the, for the gathered church, the visible church, like this, the Bible describes a second kind of authority, and that's elders and deacons. According to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, we'll just look at verses 11 to 13. It says, So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the, his people for the work, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God who, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So these offices that are speaking, uh, spoken of there in that first verse, if you could put that back up, um, the office of apostle and prophet finished when they completed, uh, according to Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that is the word of God was completed. And that's on, on what the church is built upon. Now, evangelists are people that bring people into the church. And pastors and teachers build up the church in God's word until each member reaches the whole measure of the fullness of Christ together. Now, so elders particularly are gifts to the church, pastors and teachers. How do we recognize those gifts? Maybe that's a question. What are the qualifications of those who would be elders and deacons? Well, the qualities of an elder and deacon are most clean, clearly seen in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. It's clear both here in those, in those passages and in other passages, that God has reserved that office of leadership, that particular office for men. Now, what I mean there is that women can clearly lead, teach, serve, have equal status with men in creation and in salvation. So it is no way degrading uh, our women. But as, as, as we see there that the office for elder is reserved for men, but as I read 1 Timothy 3.11, women can serve as deacons. And we, 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 we see that even in our own church. Now, the most important qualification for an elder or deacon is not education. 
It's not how long they've been a member. It's not how old they are. It's not how much money they give. It's not how much leadership experience that they've acquired. The most important qualification is being a person of character, godly character. That first qualification, if you were to turn over to 1 Timothy 3, you would see is of an elder is to be above reproach. And in Titus 1, it says to be blameless. And in, in, in those passages, it says deacons must be worthy of respect. All those other qualifications talk about how they lead in their home, how they treat their wife, how they handle temptations for, of money and of anger. These are what are important for leaders who would build the church that Christ is building. And then 1 Peter 5 speaks even further about how elders are to lead. They are to be willing and eager and serve as examples. Why would that be important? Because in Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17, it says that elders are to be examples for the church and that you, the church, are to follow the example of the elders, to obey the elders. Now, EBC, I, I commend, I recommend to you your elders, Joseph and John and, and Andre and Joe, as men who you can truly follow as examples of Christ. They are, they are not perfect, granted, but they are all men who could say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That's who these men are for you, EBC. And I'm encouraged to serve alongside these brothers. I also recommend your deacons to you, church. Chris and Mohandas and James and Varma. Uh, they serve with all diligence to help this church run smoothly. I saw great examples of that even just this morning. And, and I want to say, if they ask you to serve, give them all the effort that you can because they are, they are serving well for the church and they do need help. And I also want to uh, challenge you who are members to consider joining their ranks of leadership here in the church. Uh, EBC, we are looking for men and women to be deacons. And we desire to raise up among us men who would serve as elders. You know, that passage in 1 Timothy 3, it, it opens with this a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. That aspiration is good, gentlemen. And, 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 and the qualities for, for elders and deacons are such that, that every Christian should aspire to. So I wanna commend you men especially to Think about being an elder. Men and women, think about being a deacon. 
Now, if a, if a member recommends you to those roles or if an elder asks you to consider it, see that as a noble task to be desired and consider it prayerfully. Well, the second thing, the second authority was elders and deacons. But every elder and deacon is first a member. And that is the third authority that we're talking about, the congregation All of us together, we rule the church. Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 are passages about church discipline. And in these passages, Jesus and and Matthew and Paul and 1 Corinthians, they are not addressing the elders when they're talking about church discipline. They're, They're addressing the members of the church. And so here we understand that it that the congregation is the one who has the authority to affirm a person's confession of faith as they receive members in. And in church discipline, it's the congregation that has the authority to remove that affirmation. Later in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is rebuking the church members, not the elders, He rebukes the church members for turning to a different gospel. And then in 2 Timothy 2.4, he's lamenting about how the church members will gather false teachers around them. So, So here in Galatians and in Timothy, we understand that the congregation has the authority to elect elders to teach and to serve. Has the authority to... Of, of the membership, who's in and out, has the authority of leadership, who will serve, who will be elected to serve. And since church members are the ones who have covenanted together, changes to that covenant must be confirmed by the majority of the members. So though the elders lead spiritually and the deacons lead through practical needs and service, it's the congregation that actually has authority over its members, its elders, and deciding how the church is bound together. For us here at EBC, that would mean our statement of faith, our covenant, and our constitution. So now there's one other way I wanna highlight the congregation's leadership. This is the implication about authority. And And it's really about how the congregation ministers together. If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the members of the church. He's talking to all the church This is what some have called the priesthood of all believers. All who are connected to Christ serve Christ and one another. It's not just the elders and deacons alone who serve, but rather all the members serve one another and the community outside in gospel love. 
So when, when seeing a member in need, do you, do you come alongside them with scripture and support? Or do you think, oh, well, that's the elder's job. They'll do that. How are you, church members, how are you fulfilling the covenant to exercise affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, to pray for one another, to to bear each other's burdens and sorrows, to help one another to live carefully in this world, denying ungodliness and worldly passions? How are you living that out, EBC? ABC members and and those who gather with us who love Jesus, as we come to the close of 2023, we've got about three more weeks left, friends. As we come to the close, take some time and consider how, how can I further serve Christ and the church with my time, talents, and resources as we enter into 2024. How can I how can I do that better? How can I increase that with one another? How can you fulfill the mission of the church? That's what I want to consider in our third point today, okay? The mission of the church. According to our statement, it says the mission of the church is to be a corporate display of God's glory to the world. Now, since God has staked his reputation on the church, then friends, how we love God and how we love one another, how we worship God, how we disciple one another, that's one of the greatest importance in, in all the church, per, perhaps even all the world. The clearest statement of the church's mission comes at the end of Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 18, 20. This is where where Jesus is, is leaving. He gives his final commission. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, the glory of God is most clearly seen as we disciple one another to, to obey everything Jesus commanded, to walk as we help one another to walk more like Christ walked. That includes helping non-believers turn from their rebellion against God and to become members of Christ, to be attached to, united with Christ. And I have to ask here, is that you? Have, you? have you not yet turned from sin to God? Uh, are you still needing to, to belong to Christ, to, to turn yourself over to him? If not, if you're, if you're not in Christ, then I invite you to turn from your sin today. Believe in Christ 
or believing in Christ is the first building block of a changed life, a life that will honor God who has created you. Now, Jesus came from, from God to pay the penalty of our sin. He died on the death that we deserved before a holy God. And God raised him from the dead to show that the eternal life is found in him only. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So trusting that foundation of God's word and joining with Christ in his building program, your life will change. And I would tell you, it is for the better. Uh, your changed life added to many other changed lives becomes this beautiful temple in which God is glorified and we rejoice with one another. Church, we have the joy of participating with the Lord, the Lord in this, min, this mission under the authority of Christ and in the context of his shepherding presence. He said, I, I will never leave you. Now, the task is, is singular, actually. The, the task that Jesus gives on this mission is make disciples. It's actually the only verb of command in this passage. The, the others, the other verbs, going, baptizing, and, and teaching obedience to Jesus, describe how we do that one task of making disciples. Well, in, in, what, ways, in what ways can you take on that task as you attend church on Fridays? What are, what are other opportunities that you can use to take on that task throughout the week to make disciples of one another? Now, one way to think of this mission is something that we're all familiar with here, uh, many of us coming from overseas, embassies. Think of, think of the mission of the church as, as being an embassy of the kingdom uh, of God. That's essentially what churches are. They are, they are embassies of God's kingdom here on earth. We're, we're sent by the king, by his authority, just like an ambassador would be, uh, we're sent to represent the culture of that kingdom, its language, and opportunities uh, of his kingdom in our lives. It's, it, we help foreigners to the kingdom to emigrate through faith and baptism into the kingdom. And we teach the ways of this kingdom to those who would be preparing to relocate to the heavenly kingdom, right? This is what our discipling mission is about. So Christian, are you on mission? Are you an ambassador? Is this what you're about? Not only when you come to this gathering, but even at home or in your workplace or as you, as you gather in, 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 
in various uh, church things. Having such a view that you're, that you're an ambassador, even as you come to this gathering, should change your approach to this gathering. Rather than coming in to this meeting, this, this time, as a consumer of spiritual good, consider how you can be a producer of spiritual good to the others who come. Well, for this reason, we're trying to be a very, in, we're trying to be very intentional here at EBC. I want us to consider how, how are we seeking to build a biblical church here at EBC. Now, I like to say this very simply, that our vision at EBC is to, one, be a biblically ordered church. Uh, that means we do everything that we just talked about in this sermon. Secondly, it's to model biblical health to others in the church. That means we are to be everything that we just talked about in this sermon. And then thirdly, that we want to plant biblically ordered, language-specific churches that share the same DNA that, that, we've, that we've talked about here. That means sending others out to do everything that we just talked about in the specific languages that they represent here among our members. And among our members, there is Kurdish and Arabic and Farsi and Urdu or Hindi. And God willing, there may be others that he brings into our church to learn with us and then be sent out to plant from us. And friends, that's our mission here. But there will be a day when the invisible church will become visible. The invisible church will become visible, gathered together into one local gathering. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 speaks of that day when that invisible ecclesia will be gathered together in worship. He says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, all who have ever believed in Jesus from Adam to the apostles to today and until Jesus comes again, they will all be gathered together in one ecclesia. Oh, friends, what heavenly worship that will be as we worship the one true and living God. When we will with one voice from every tongue and tribe sing, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb.
Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do look in eager expectation for that day when with every believer Mm. Lord, every believer from Andrew the Apostle to Augustine, from Calvin and Perpetua, Lord, to Martin Lloyd-Jones and Billy Graham, oh Lord, to each believer in this room when we will gather together to worship the Lamb who sits upon the throne. Oh, Lord, we look forward to that day. And until that day, Lord, let us be at work here and now to display your character and your glory in this local place as we deal with people that are around us don't even understand what this kingdom of God is about. Bringing them in, Lord, let's, we pray that we would have uh, power through the Spirit to see lives transformed. Lord, help us to disciple one another in love and unity. And that we together would be a corporate display of, 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 of the glory of God in this place. And not only here at EBC, but across this city, Lord. We pray for the other gospel-preaching churches. That together we would be a display of your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.